look at Ephesians chapter 5, uh, and I'm just going to read the first eight verses. So Paul writes, follow God's example, therefore, as dealing of children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. So we're doing this series on uh, Ephesians and um, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Phil mentioned a commentary by Watchman Nee, um, and that's entitled Sit, Walk, Stand. And what Watchman Nee does in that commentary is he kind of sets out the journey of Paul's thinking in this book. So what Paul does, first of all, is he says, you need to stop and think about God. You need to sit and think about God. And that's a really good starting point. And it's interesting because occasionally you'll hear Christians who make a, a kind of boast about not being interested in theology. And I think, I'm not sure that's a really good boast, to be honest, because you should be. Because your theology affects your psychology. It starts that way. Your theology, what you think about God and what you believe about God has an impact on your behaviour your psychology. And Paul knows that. So he says, before I'm going to talk to you about your behaviour, which I want to talk about because there's some stuff that I don't particularly like, let me talk to you about your theology. And so he sorts that out and, um, and then he begins to talk about behaviour. And he uses this word walk. And in this particular passage, Paul tells us three things. First of all, he says, let me tell you what is appropriate behaviour for a Christian. That's the first thing. Behaviour that is appropriate. Then he says, let me tell you about behaviour that is inappropriate. And then thirdly, he says, let me tell you about behaviour that would indicate you're not a Christian at all. So those are the three things we're going to look at this morning. Behaviour that is appropriate for Christians... Behaviour that is inappropriate for Christians <clears throat> and behaviour that would suggest that not yet have you given your life to Christ. So the first thing is, what is appropriate behaviour? Well, right at the beginning of this passage, Paul says, walk in love. I think the overriding expectation of God, of Christians, is that we would love you know, we haven't got time to unpack all this. But as you go through scripture, Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now that in itself would be quite 
a challenging concept, you know, that we love within the church. But Jesus doesn't make it that easy. He then takes it beyond that and says, oh, when I talk about love, I am talking about loving your enemies. Now, I personally don't have a problem with the command about loving people. Um, because I think what is quite liberating to know, because I would struggle with this, is if I was commanded to like people. Um, that would be a difficulty for me. Because liking people has to do with the emotions. You know, when you like people, you just like people. But Jesus nowhere says, I am calling you to like people. But everywhere in scripture, Jesus says, I'm calling you to love people. Now, to love people is a simple concept. It simply means that you will seek their best. That's what Jesus calls you to do. He doesn't call you to like people. He calls you to seek their best, whoever that might be. So the way I kind of think about it is if you think about, sort of conjure up in your mind, the person that you dislike the most... Now, if you happen to be sat next to them today, don't let on. Don't let them know that you're thinking of them right now. But think about the person that you dislike the most. And then when you've got that person in your mind, think to yourself, how can I seek that person's best? What could I do for them? And be proactive. What could I do for them that would be loving, that would seek their best. Now, we all are different people. I, I, until December, was a head teacher. I worked with children all my life um, and was part of the Safeguarding Children's Board. So safeguarding and looking after people is really passionate, one of my passions. And um, so I struggle with characters like Jimmy Savile, personally, um, because of their behaviour choices and because of the things that they have done you know, to abuse your power on the young and the vulnerable is, is just, I, I find that kind of stuff just incredibly hard to take. So if I'm thinking about unlikable people, he's top on my list. Fortunately, he's not with us anymore. But if he were around today, I would be thinking to myself, how can I love him? How can I seek his best? What can I do that would be good for him? So if he was in prison and I was his prison chef, I would be thinking, how can I cook him the best possible meal I've ever cooked in my life? And then when I've cooked it and I turn up for work tomorrow, I'm going to think, I cooked him the best meal I ever could yesterday. How can I better that today? If I was his dentist, I'd want to give him the best and cleanest smile that I could possibly do because that's loving I'm seeking someone's best. And it's about being proactive. And I think that that's a real challenge for the church. I think that the church has a, has a twofold challenge. It has the responsibility of speaking the truth and it has the responsibility of loving people. And getting the balance between those two things is very difficult. We all know people who are very truthful. We are crushed by the truth of some people. They are so truthful, they say it as it is, and it just takes the life out of you. And then we know some people who are incredibly gracious and loving and who couldn't speak the truth if they tried. 
And Jesus says, I want you to be both those things. I want you to speak the truth and I want you to be loving. And I wondered, I had to um, contact my resident church historian, Mr. Sam Stockhill in Nepal, and say, I am preaching. Can you tell me of a group of Christians historically who were renowned for both speaking the truth and for loving? I said, can you tell me from, because he's a great church historian, can you tell me? And he came back and said, I can't think of anyone in history that have ever got the balance right. And I thought, wow, we've got 2,000 years of history. Now, you might be sat there thinking, oh, I can think of someone. The best he could do was point me to a story of um, a man who was the Surgeon General in America. He was a Christian some time ago. And he was Surgeon General when, um, when AIDS became a really big issue. And so he was invited to, he was a Christian, he was invited to address a really big conference, a homosexual conference, full of homosexual people. And he said, the reason that there is this issue right now is because of the sin of sodomy. Which is quite a powerful thing to say, isn't it, to a to that kind of audience. Uh, and he was unequivocal about what he said. But in history, there is no man that has ever done more research and alleviation of AIDS than that man. No one. And he would constantly be invited to conferences because people knew that despite the fact that he would not move on his position, he was incredibly loving and made sure that in his position as Surgeon General, research into AIDS and the alleviation of pain through AIDS was his primary objective. And I think that's, you know, as close as we'll get to people speaking the truth and loving. But that's what Jesus has called us to do, to be loving to, um, to other people. He also calls us to, in verse 8, to walk in the light. Not only are we to be loving, we are to walk in the light. Now, I know that this is really belongs next week, but I just want to mention something. I, I wasn't here last week because um, my oldest son, Luke, his best friend was getting baptised and then he dedicated his son. So I went there instead. And I know his friend very well now, over the years. Um, and he's a very successful man. He's, he's a worship leader. He's got a stunningly beautiful voice. Um, he was a very gifted footballer, played for Northern Ireland, under-18s, did a theology degree, went to Thailand, was a missionary, got married, married a, um, a physiotherapist, and then came to Bradford, and he now works for the police. But he didn't share any of those things in his testimony. In his testimony, he talked about his, his battle with mental health. Now, I had a little hint that something wasn't right, but I had no idea just how serious mental health was for him. He told stories about on his day off how he would say goodbye to his wife sat on the sofa and when she came back eight hours later he'd never moved. He would talk about having two hour showers because he didn't know what else to do with himself. He talked about these major, major battles <clears throat> and it was one of the most kind of courageous testimonies I've heard in a long time. Um, and I thought not just was it courageous, it was liberating. Because what it did is it took the cap off this 
unspoken, this elephant in the room that we have, that mental health is an issue, that mental health is an issue for men and it's an issue for men in the church. And it was incredibly liberating. But what really turned around the corner for him was when he started walking in the light, when he started talking about the issues that he was facing, when he put aside that kind of male macho mindset that says, you know, you can't as a man admit that you're having difficulties and you're struggling. When he came to walk in the light, he began to be liberated. And I really believe, you know, as Christians, we need to walk in the light. And I don't really know what Tony's going to say about it next week, but that's what I want to say about it, is can we create that culture and that atmosphere within the church where it's okay to talk about the things that we are struggling with, where it's okay to talk about the things that we find difficult and know that we will be loved. So we're called to behave lovingly. We're, we're called to behave transparently and openly. And we're called to have a life of thanksgiving. And I'm going to address that um, towards the end. But also in this passage, Paul says, but if you're a Christian, there are certain things that are not acceptable. There are certain things that you should not do. <clears throat> and he, he goes through a list. He talks about sexual immorality, that it's inappropriate, that adultery and incest should not be part of the church, that impurity, that greed, you know, covetousness, wanting what other people have got, fraud and extortion, obscenity, foolish talking, silly talking, and coarse joking. Those things ought not to be part of, of our lives. And more than that, when they are, we need to have the courage to challenge each other about those things. You know, one of my friends was a professional footballer, played down at Bradford City, and he would say that in his time as a professional footballer, where all his teammates were unfaithful with their wives and girlfriends, he never was, not once. And in all the time that his teammates were drinking, he never drank alcohol at all. And when his mates were doing drugs, he never did. The one thing that he could not master, even as a Christian, was his, his foul language. Because it was so endemic within that world. And he says to his shame, you know, I wasn't unfaithful, I didn't drink, I didn't do drugs, but I did swear. That's the one thing I just could not overcome. But these behaviours are not acceptable. And we need to be courageous enough that when we see those things in people, we are willing to challenge them. And then he talks about behaviour that indicates that you're not a Christian. And this is quite an interesting idea, isn't it? Because as I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking, I've been a Christian virtually 40 years, and I've been, a Christ I've been preaching probably all those, all those years. And 40 years ago, this would be quite an easy passage to talk about because I'd basically say the Bible says there's certain behaviours that indicate that you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Let's move on. And everybody would go, yeah, yeah, it's obvious. It's a, it's a given. But it's not that simple these days because we seem to be within the church obsessed with trying to justify behaviours that people bring for the sake of wanting to challenge it. It's so much easier to say, no, 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 that isn't wrong. It's so much easier just to say, well, that's okay. 
But Paul makes it very clear. And his language is really strong. He says, let's make no mistake about this. Let's be absolutely clear. And he, he talks about those who are involved in sexual in, improper behavior, the defrauders. And essentially, he summarizes it in this, is that these are people who are adulterous, uh, uh, idolaters. And ultimately, the real proof of whether somebody belongs to Christ or not is whether they've bowed the knee to him is whether they have stopped worshipping themselves, because that's the heart of so much sin, is the self-worship, the obsession with ourselves, and, and not being prepared to bow the knee and to worship God. Now, we have to be careful, because Jesus taught, made it very clear that at the end of the age, there will be a separation of people. The sheep will be separated from the goats, the tares will be separated from the wheat, but it's God alone who does that. So we need to be really, really careful. But we walk a line as well. I had a conversation yesterday with a friend, and, and you know, if I had a pound for every time he said, but of course we mustn't judge. And I was saying, but why not? We make judgments all the time. When I cross the road, I do look right and I do look left. And I do make a judgment at some point about whether it's appropriate or not to cross the road. Not all judgment is bad. And not all judgment is, is forbidden in scripture. Because Paul actually says is, don't be in partnership with these people. Don't get married to them. Don't be in business with them. So you've got to make some judgment. But do it graciously. Because the only one that ultimately that can separate the sheep from the goats and the wheat from the tares is God alone. But there is one thing that Paul talks about here, which I find quite intriguing, and I've thought a lot about this recently. Um, and it's to do with, if somebody came to, if you were a counsellor, if you had a reputation for being a counsellor, and I don't really have that reputation, um, but if you came and you said, Jez, I've got a problem. I'm always telling rude jokes. I, I just can't stop it. You know, and I'm a Christian, and I love God, and I don't know what it is about me, but I'm just given to this particular problem. If that was presented to you as a counsellor, what would your counsel be? What would you say? Well, we'd have to say, first of all, well, you, the reason you've come to talk to me is you know it's not right. So that's a good start. We're walking in the light here. But what would you say? Well, what I think is quite interesting is, is Paul says, well, the, the reason that they do that is because they're not giving thanks. Would that be your counsel? Would you say, in order for you to stop telling rude jokes, you need to cultivate a life of giving thanks? Well, that's Paul's advice. And he doesn't just say it once, he says it twice. Because he says it in Romans chapter 1 as well. Well, when he talks about, in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, he says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. He says there's two problems. These people that behave sinfully do not glorify God, and they do not give thanks. 
So if you met somebody who said, I'm doing a lot of wrong stuff, how do I stop it? Would you say, you need to glorify God and you need to give thanks? Because that to me seems to be Paul's solution. What Paul is saying is, if you're going to use your tongue for these perverse things, learn to use your tongue for the right things. And the right things are the giving of thanks and glorifying God. And that's what we do when we come here on a, on a Sunday. It's that glorifying God and giving thanks. And it's not just about cultivating that, that mindset of thanksgiving during the day, but that's a healthy thing to do. You know, over the years as a Christian, I think I've learned perhaps to do that more than anything else. I find myself in the course of every day thanking God endlessly for all kinds of things, even the bad things that happen. But I find myself giving thanks to God. But when we come to church on Sunday, that's when we have that beautiful opportunity um, to give thanks. And, you know, I've got time to kind of open up my mindset about about worship. My mindset on worship is really based on the journey that the high priest makes in the Old Testament into the Holy of Holies. That's what I believe worship is. I believe it's that journey from where you start outside the Holy of Holies to where you end up in the Holy of Holies, right in the presence of God. That's what I believe worship to be. I have to confess, I am a lover of those extended worship times. That's me, you know, I love to be in those times where the worship leaders are just given freedom, just take us into that, that holy of holies. And it's that beautiful journey that we make. We make it starting off with confession. You know, it's interesting, in the old days when you first went to church, nearly every church service began with a prayer of confession, didn't it? And sometimes we kind of forget that. But I always think that's a really good place to start when it's worship. Is start with that place of confession. Deal with your sin. Um, and deal with it because recognize you are wanting to go into the Holy of Holies. And you can't go in there with sinfulness. So the starting point for me for worship is always confession. But then it's about thanksgiving and praise. You know, it's about getting to that place where you are thanking God and praising him for what he's done for you. And we sing some beautiful praise songs and, 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 and songs of thanksgiving that are about the salvation that God has, has brought on us, the goodness that God has shown for us. That always seems to me to be a good start for worship, but that in itself isn't worship. That's praise. And the problem with praise is it can still be egocentric. Because when I'm praising God, I'm praising him for what he's done for me. I'm praising God for what he's done for us. There's still those words in our songs that are about us and about me. But when I move on to worship, I begin to ask myself, why does God bless me? Why does God love me? Why has God saved me? And then I realize it is because God is who he is. He does what he does because he is who he is. And when I move from confession 
And then I moved to praise. I don't want to stay in that place of praise because I still, and I see it on the screen, I still am seeing those words, I, me, us, them. I want to move beyond that and I want to get into the Holy of Holies and I want to just acknowledge God for who he is. I want to worship him because of his holiness. I want to worship him because of his power. I want to worship him just for who he is. And when I get to that place and I'm singing those songs that are simply about who God is, at that place, I am liberated to worship. And when I walk out of a service and I say, the worship was amazing, I'm always thinking about that because this morning I was led into the Holy of Holies and I came face to face with God and I worshipped him for who he is. And I always pray for our musicians because I think that, that worship leading is such a, it's such a difficult thing and it's something that requires such anointing. Not least because music is such a powerful thing. I find music incredibly emotive. Even that song that we sang um, before we came up is full of emotion for me. Because you might not remember, but just before Sam and Hannah left, I was preaching and I asked Hannah to sing that song. Now, Hannah's just got a drop-dead beautiful voice. And as I'm singing it, I'm welling up because I'm thinking, why is she not here? Why is she over in Nepal? You know, and it's emotive for me. And when I walk out, I'm likely to be emotive, but not because I've been in the presence of God. It's because I've sung a beautiful song that my daughter-in-law has sung beautifully too. But I haven't worshipped, I've just been emotive. But when I worship, I want to be in that place where I am just thanking God for who he is. I'm thinking about his holiness, I'm thinking about his purity, I'm thinking about his power, I'm just thinking about him for who he is. And I've stopped thinking about the blessings that he pours upon me. And at that place, I am liberated to worship. And usually, then it's appropriate for some kind of response. So Paul says the issue, the response for so many things that we are facing is learn to give thanks, learn to praise, but then learn to move into worship and glorify God. And if you are somebody who knows how to give thanks and how to glorify God, I would suspect that some of the issues that we have dealt with in the past just drift away because we've begun to get our life in order. Because the order of things is learn to give thanks, learn to glorify God, and you will not walk in unrighteousness and wickedness. Because you can't. And so I just want to encourage you this morning. Um, one of the appropriate behaviours for us all is the giving of thanks and glorifying God. And as we come to communion now, there is nothing more beautiful than that moment of thanksgiving in communion. Because at that moment in time, we are remembering the amazing sacrifice that Jesus uh, made for us and we are the beneficiaries of the cross you know we are the beneficiaries of the cross we live a victorious life this side of heaven 
and will live a wonderful, glorified. Um, one of my favourite preachers is a guy called John Piper. Um, and on his blog, he has a phrase that's something like, um, life is hard, God is good, we're on our way to glory. And that to me seems a fair summary of life. Life is tough. I'm not sure that anything is going to make it a great deal easier. But God is good. And we're on our way to glory. And we need to give him thanks. And when we come to the table, that's exactly what we do. So I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to hand over to uh, Pastor Phil who's going to lead us in, in worship. Father God, I thank you that when we sit in your presence, we get, things just get sorted out. We get the right perspective. We get a sense of heavenly reality. And we begin to recognize who we are. And Father, when we recognize who we are and when we thank you and praise you for what you've done, we're able to get into your presence and sit at your feet and ask the question, God, why are you so kind? Why are you so loving? Why are you so gracious? And the answer always is, because I am who I am. And Father, we thank you for that. And we thank you for the amazing cross. We thank you that we are the beneficiaries. And that as a result of Jesus dying on the cross and going to heaven, we have the Holy Spirit living within us, who guides us and leads us each day, and is our assurance that when this life is over, we've got eternity with Jesus. So Father God, we thank you for that. And we pray that you bless us in this time of, of communion now. In Jesus' name, amen. The uh, band would like to come up and uh, we're going to go into communion. And uh, this is for all who love the Lord, know Jesus as Saviour. As Jess said, it's a beautiful act of thanksgiving, wonderful. It also takes us to the character of God, doesn't it? God's grace, God's love, God's patience with us, all of those things, and uh, the beauty of God. The communion is a reminder that Christ has paid it all. He's dealt with our sin. He's, it was na he was nailed to that cross. The sin of the world, our sin, was laid on him. And on that cross, you died with him. You died. So that means we're to live for him. And so let's this act of communion be an act of worship and praise and thanks and just delighting in who God is and thanking him for all that he's done for us. We're going to sing give thanks. Is it give thanks? Thank you for saving me. That's it. Thank you for saving me. And uh, we're going to, we'll stand to sing. And if the servers would come and uh, I think it's one of the growth groups are going to serve us this, this morning. Um, let's uh, just spend time in the Lord's presence as we do this. So, thank you. Let's stand. Be seated. Lord, thank you so much that the truth has set us free in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus has defeated sin. He's won that victory. We thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of sin 
And Lord, we want to live in that forgiveness day by day. Thank you, Lord, it's a daily thing. Moment by moment, we can go to the cross. And Lord, we, we just want to avail ourselves of that. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, our, my, our mighty God, almighty, king of love. And Lord, on, on the cross we see your anger, your wrath against us and against our sin wonderfully merged with your love for us. And Lord, we praise you for your plan of salvation. And we thank you for Jesus. That he was willing to have his body broken and his blood shed so that we would be forgiven. And Lord, we thank you. So do eat and drink, um, hold on to the, the light. Lord, take away that love of sinning. Take away that love of darkness, the dark things of our lives. And we would live, Lord, in the light this day and this week. Help us in that, we pray. So, Lord, part us with your blessing. And thank you for our time. Thank you for our fellowship. Thank you, Lord, for being able to worship you like this. We give you our heartfelt praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for meeting with us. And do stay for tea and coffee if you can. Thank you.